recovery did not come easy to me. So I just celebrated 10 years and it took me that long to get one week of sobriety. It can be done. If you just follow these principles and sometimes, you know, get out of our own head, stop debating this and just follow the suggestions. And that's really all I did was follow what what people were telling me. You can do it. But live one day, one day. Just take it one day at a time. That's it. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey there, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, why do we never use our last names here? Is it that we're ashamed of our disease? Hmm. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that we never use our last names. I hear people sharing their last names in meetings and stuff, but I tend not to. I at one point was sharing my last name in a meeting because I was hearing other people do it and it just didn't feel right. It felt like there was some ego there or something. And just saying I'm Sam, I'm an alcoholic is what works for me. But, you know, I think it's uh, it was in uh, Dr. Bob and the good old timers. Dr. Bob says, we are not anonymous to each other. That's right. We're anonymous at the level of press, radio, and film. Anywhere below that, we should be able to get to know each other. And I certainly will share my name and contact information with anyone in conversation before or after a meeting. Well, Sam, is AA a secret society? You know. Anonymous? (laughs) I was thinking about that. And it's like, yes and no. No, in that we want people to find us. And, you know, our meetings are published publicly so people can come to them. And then we have two types of meetings. The open meetings are the ones that anybody with any interest in alcoholism and recovery can come to that meeting. So we're not secret, but we don't advertise or we don't say who is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, we don't promote. Yeah. Well, how much does it cost to go to AA? Oh, it's free to go to AA. Now, it's not free for AA to happen. It does take money. But that's why we pass a pass in most meetings. It's voluntary contributions. And you do not have to put anything in that basket to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's right. I've been to meetings where, in fact, they say uh, we're going to pass the basket. Don't put anything in if you're a newcomer. Yeah. I put in a dollar. And you know what? I put in two dollars. I think we've been putting in a dollar for a couple of decades. I've gone up to $2. (laughs) That's a good idea. You know, there's a a rule of thumb I heard several years ago of two and five. $2 in meetings that you go to, but $5 at your home group meeting. Okay, that's a rule, but it's... It's a guideline. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about today? Well, Don, today's episode is controversy, and the topic is anonymity. We have two guests with long-term sobriety, Jody Kay and Mike V, and both are well-qualified to discuss this topic. Sam, I see two main aspects to anonymity, inwardly facing and outwardly facing. So, So first, inwardly, we want the new person to feel safe seeking help, so no one will disclose that they're here. It's a personal decision when and whether to disclose. 
And then another part of inward is anonymity protects me from my own massive ego. You know, I need to always <laughs> check my motives. <laughs> I hope you'll add a big echo re- reverberation to that <laughs> massive ego. Ego, 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 <laughs> ego. Now, outwardly facing is where the media line comes in. Below the media line, we may choose to be known in our community so that we can offer hope to other people who might be seeking it. But above the media line, we remain anonymous. We don't seek celebrity so that AA is not misrepresented or affiliated with any other causes or gets tangled up with money. And the tension there is how to be an example to someone who wants to get sober and still remain anonymous. Mm. Well, this is from the official AA anonymity statement card that's available at intergroups and general service offices, as well as AA.org. There may be some here who are not familiar with our tradition of personal anonymity at the public level. Quote, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films, end quote. We respectfully ask that AA speakers and AA members not be photographed, videoed, or identified by full name on all media platforms or in any published reports of our meetings. The assurance of anonymity is essential to our efforts to help other problem drinkers who may wish to share our recovery program with us. And our tradition of anonymity reminds us that AA principles come before personalities. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there is. And and we don't talk about it enough, which is why anonymity is often misunderstood. Like a lot of AA, it's not the most intuitive principle. No, it goes against our whole culture. (laughs) AA goes against our whole culture. In fact, a recent grapevine daily quote from Bill W. said, in our 12 traditions, we've set our faces against nearly every trend in the outside world. We've abandoned do-goodism, reform, and paternalism. We decline to marry our society to anyone. We abstain from public controversy and will not quarrel among ourselves about those things that so rip society asunder, religion, politics, and reform. We have but one purpose, to carry the AA message to the sick alcoholic who wants it. We take these attitudes Not at all because we claim special virtue or wisdom. We do these things because hard experience has told us that we must if AA is to survive in the distraught world of today. That's from Bill W., the co-founder of AA, writing in January 1955 in Why Alcoholics Anonymous is Anonymous from the book The Language of the Heart. This episode is going to be fun. We have two guests (laughs) to banter about the controversial topic, anonymity, and the media line. Don, are you ready for this? I'm ready, and I can see our guests are just itching to get in here. So we're (laughs) going to turn to them in just a minute. Grapevine does not accept donations, but you can offer your support by making a purchase at store.aagrapevine.org or by the Carry the Message gift certificates to sponsor Grapevine subscriptions for alcoholics in need. That's store.aagrapevine.org. Now it's time for Controversy. 
today's topic, anonymity and the media online. Welcome, Mike. Hey, guys. Thanks. Mike V from uh, the Washington, D.C. area. And welcome, Jody. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Dawn, for having me today. My name is Jody Kay. I'm from Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. My home group is the world-famous Punxsutawney Groundhog Group. And uh, my sobriety <laughs> date is October 28, 2002. Thank you both for joining us. We're glad you're both here. Let's get to know Jody first. Jody, is that groundhog sober? Um, I think that the groundhog is, but I can't say the same for those around him when he (laughs) supposedly (laughs) I've heard. Jody, when did you get sober again? October 28th, 2002, right before Halloween, sitting in a locked psychiatric unit on my last 302. Woohoo. Talk about fun. (laughs) Yeah, I got sober in a wheelchair. You know, I was physically broken. My relationships had fallen apart, but most of all, they say never get sober for somebody else. But if it weren't for my kids, I didn't care much about myself at that point. And I had a 12 year old and and a daughter who turned nine while I was detoxing. Mm. I just, I, I never made another promise, but I told them that I would do my best to stick with these steps to get through to the end. That was almost 20 years ago. Wow. Did you have trouble? Did I have trouble? Did you have trouble accepting <laughs> what AA has to offer? Um, had a little problem with the God thing. Oh, um, there you go. And and I had a very very patient sponsor who who spent an awful lot of time with me. She did tell me on my second anniversary. She said, "Did I ever tell you I didn't think you were going to make it?" Uh, so I guess I did give her a little bit of problem. But I was so grateful on Thanksgiving of that year. I experienced for the first time ever, a gratitude for being alive. I always joke, I went to my first meeting at 19, also in a locked psychiatric unit, Mm. and promptly got sober 15 years later, you know, at age 34. Promptly. Promptly. (laughs) (laughs) What's, uh, What's your life like today in recovery? Wow. It's nothing like I imagined that it would be. So I'm really glad that I have God doing for me what I can't do for myself. I married another man in recovery who was widowed. A few, few days, I'm, I'm headed to California to see nice. my oldest son get married. Now I just have three more to marry off and I can, you know, relax <laughs> a little. But I'm out of that wheelchair. I parked it at 10 months sober. I went back to school, got my undergraduate, got a master of fine arts, and now I'm working in mental health. I've been a valued employee for 11 years with the same company. And uh, I could not have said that before. Life is good. Plus, I get to serve AA. So how do you serve AA? I am currently finishing my second year as Panel 71 delegate for Area 60 Western Pennsylvania. And that's not oh. something I would have ever imagined in a million years or didn't even really want until it was put in front of me. And uh, when AA asks you to serve, you serve. Wonderful. Very yeah. good. Mike, when did you get sober? I, uh, again, Mike V, I got sober August 12th of 2012. Actually, this past August, just celebrated 10 years. Woohoo! Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And what brought you to AA? How did you learn about it? Well, I initially learned about AA, uh, and I think a lot of people run into this. I was exposed to AA and had been attending AA meetings for about 10 years prior to getting sober. I want to say about probably 2003-ish. Like a lot of people, I was told that I needed to go to the AA, and 
what I found out later, and I find out with a lot of people I work with now that by the time someone else tells you, because it usually is someone else tells you that you should be going, I really should have been going for quite a long time, but went, um, was exposed to it. Very nice people, uh, felt really bad. These people really had problems and they, they really needed to stop drinking. <laughs> but I was there because I had started developing a back problem. And that was, I started having a lot of people on my back and I needed them off my back. So that was the physical problem I thought I had at that time. <laughs> But it took about 10 more years. It's one thing to go to AA and read the big book. And it's another thing to be in the program and work in the program. For me, at the end, in 2012, you know, it was like a multiple choice test. I had A through E, you know, all the above. And then I got down to A and B and it was get well or die. Mm. That was it. That was, that's what drove me to the bottom. Because uh, I think people like me have to be driven to that point where there's no alternative. Because where, you know, Jody struggled with the gone thing, I struggled with the powerless thing. This idea that I was powerless over anything was a real tough pill for me to swallow. Yeah, that's one of the things that kind of goes against our culture. You know, men are supposed to be reliant and fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also, my background, I, I was military. I was, I was a pilot in the Navy, been a police officer. And then I just, well, I retired from the FBI. I was an FBI agent for over 20 years. And from a very, very early age, it wasn't even just being a man of the culture. It was my professions. Mm. It, it was just ingrained that, what do you mean I'm powerless over something? I'm not powerless over anything. Are you kidding me? And that was really the struggle for me. It wasn't for me. It wasn't until somebody had at one of the treatment centers and notice I'm using that in the plural. It wasn't until I had learned about the disease model of addiction, because I thought this was, hey, if I was a better person, better husband, better employee, better whatever, Somehow my being more moral had something to do with uh, my drinking. I didn't realize that in reality it was, no, I had a genetic deficiency. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about an allergy. Uh, my body has an abnormal reaction to a substance. And I'd never heard that before. And then, so to me, it, I realized that I'm not wired like the rest of the kids in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. that the euphoria that I get from alcohol is different. My wife, who's not alcoholic, does not experience that same feeling. And I will pursue that feeling to my death. And I was, I came pretty damn close to yes. that. Yes. Yeah. I relate to that strongly. What do you say to people about self-reliance and letting go? How do you approach talking to someone new who has it built into their character that they're self-reliant? Uh, sometimes in our world, what, what we recognize is that sometimes giving up the fight to be able to approach from a different direction is the way to do it. I've heard this said before, and like, if I was to get into the ring with Mike Tyson right now today, what do you think is going to happen to me? You're going to be crying. <laughs> I'm going to be crying, right? And but what we do is we say, I, I'm not training enough. I need to train more. And then I still get beaten up. All right, I need to clean my diet up. I still get beaten hmm. up. I need to sleep more, need to hydrate more. And when the, when the answer is really just the answer to me not beating Mike Tyson is not to get in the ring with Mike Tyson. That's the best thing. It doesn't make me weak. It just means that he has different skill sets. He's a professional fighter. Yes. I'm not a professional fighter. So that's what I decided to do with recovery. And that's what I tell people is sometimes the smart thing to do is just not engage in the fight. And I think yeah. that that understands. Yeah. That's good. We have a Marine around here that said his first two years were awful because he was taught not to surrender, but he realized finally he had to surrender to win the battle. That's right. We call that a tactical retreat. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> What's sobriety like for you today? 
It is phenomenal. I, I wouldn't go back to drinking today if I could, because my life is just so busy. And like Jody, I went back to school and uh, I got a degree from Hazel and Betty Ford. My degree is in addictions and co-occurring disorders. So I'm actually going into the healthcare field and I, I will be starting in a couple of weeks at a detox center. Ironically, one of the detox centers I went through. And so what life is like today is just, it, it, it couldn't be any better. As I'm speaking to you, I'm actually sitting at a university uh, visiting my daughter. Uh, it's beautiful because I have a relationship with my daughter. She wants to see me. My son came to, he's an adult now. He came over here to see me. My kids come and they want to see me. And there are so many people that did not get sober of my generation of drinking that their divorces and the kids don't want to be around them and their their lives are so destructive. And I just feel so blessed that I was given the gift of, of sobriety because I really do look at it as being a gift because I really, if you had looked at the trajectory, I should not have made it to this point, but it gets better. And I, I think it's very common, like you guys, Jody, myself, once you, you get sober to want to spend time working with others. And, and I'm blessed to, to have that, that opportunity. So uh, it's been great. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you. And Jody, thank you so much. So now it's time to dive into our topic. (laughs) Jody, does the tradition of anonymity continue to serve AA well, or should it be loosened to help the still suffering alcoholic in our internet connected world? Well, Sam, I think that that question assumes that it hasn't already been loosened. You know, there are plenty of ways for us to attract the still sick and suffering. Um, We have a digital presence. We have LinkedIn accounts and YouTube channels and Instagram channels. You know, we have class A trustees who can be our face. We have beautiful PSAs when we can get our TV stations to run them. What's a class A trustee? Oh, okay. A class A trustee is a a non-alcoholic friend of Alcoholics Anonymous that pledge an extraordinary amount of their time to help us because they are our good friends. There used to be a whole lot more of them. There There were more class A trustees than there were class B trustees. There's a really good way to tell them apart, though, if you do get confused. Class A stands for amateur. Class B stands for Boozer. So that's that's <laughs> your mnemonic trick to remember that. I mean, I think that we need to continue to talk about anonymity. I had a little bit of a problem just kind of following some of our digital accounts because I was concerned about a breach of anonymity because of that. And another of our trustees spent some time with me talking to me about algorithms and how the internet already knows that you're either a member or very interested in Alcoholics Anonymous just by your search terms. Mm. Um, But as far as personal anonymity, I believe that that's the reason we're still here. Mm. We have not had any AA rock stars, even Bill W had to come to the decision that anonymity was paramount. He refused the picture of the back of his head on Time Magazine, even the back of his head. He refused an honorary doctorate from Yale because in his wisdom, in our collective experience, it's really truly been shown that we have to stay out of that limelight. We need to keep in mind the difference between attraction and promotion. I mean, for me, it comes down to if you want to break your anonymity at the public level, what are your motives? If we have all of these other avenues, what are your motives? And thank you, Mike. What's your thinking on this? 
You know, and I appreciate everything that Jody has said, and everything is so true. And it's a it's a difficult thing. In my experience, and I just give you a little bit of background because I was confronted with this very issue before I retired. I was an instructor at the FBI National Academy, and the National Academy it's a leadership program for police executives from around the world, and these are people that are either chief sheriff or being groomed to be chief or sheriff. And the wellness issue wellness in general and in law enforcement and the military for that matter is a big, big issue. And along with that, suicide, PTSD, uh, addiction is, is huge. The opiate epidemic is not just across the United States. It, it's horrible in our field because people get injured on the job and then they're hooked on opiates and all kinds of things. So my recovery was no secret. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I was asked at the academy to do design and teach a class dealing with wellness and addiction was a big part of it. The name of the course is uh, Leading at Risk Employees. And so when I started teaching the course, it became obvious to the students in the course that this wasn't just something I read about. I wasn't just an FBI agent that was assigned to this class. And I was very passionate about it. And I had some guys confront me about that. And they say, you know, you're in recovery, aren't you? Yeah. Well, here's the problem. You know, you're not telling us that you're in recovery, but it's kind of obvious. And they took it as, hey, you're not being completely honest with us. And in my world, that's a very difficult situation. Mm -hmm. So I was Mm -hmm. faced with this early on. What do I do? Because this idea that the spiritual principle of anonymity, I got it. I understand it. I understand the purpose. And I agree with it wholeheartedly. But the problem with the world in which I worked in, in law enforcement is law enforcement's a closed world. It's a closed society. And cops really only trust other cops. And their stereotype, the stigma is that somehow it's a weakness and they, that can't be shown. When in reality, we all know that people in this profession, the military and law enforcement, there's a lot of us in recovery. To get officers to accept the help that they need, they needed to see that there were other people in recovery. So I walked this fine balance and I don't know that I do it perfectly, but the way that I approached it was, hey, look, I'm in recovery And then I would talk about recovery issues. And in fairness, I talk about all the programs, not just AA. I talk about all of them because there's, you know, AA is not for everybody. You know, we have Dharma, Celebrate Recovery, Smart Recovery, MM. There's other types of programs that are out there, not to mention all the family programs. And so the way that I I think I got around it was just to talk about being in recovery and the principles that I use, but present it that here's the smorgasbord of options that are out there for people to get into. Um, I don't think that I have the answer to this idea of anonymity. I do know that in my world, I feel like I've been able to help people a bit more when they understood when I was in recovery, just because maybe it's a bit unique in that, in that context. So I probably ride that edge a bit more than Jody does, but I don't know if, if it's the right thing or the wrong thing. So Mike, What's your full name and your AA affiliation on the syllabus for the class? No. You didn't break your head. Well, my full name's on the syllabus, right. not AA. Yes. Was, were there any reporters in the room who were writing a story on the class that connected you with? No. You didn't break your anonymity. Oh. No. <laughs> I'm so you glad. didn't. <laughs> well, every, just about everybody that knows me knows I'm in recovery. And a whole lot mm-hmm. of those know that I'm in recovery in AA. I've had reasons to disclose. And like Dr. Bob said, if people can't right. find you in your community, we still have old guys that come in that have never gone online to find a meeting, but somehow or other, they right. got one at their doctor's office or down the street at the magistrates. 
We have pastors who call us to say, we have a family member of one of our parishioners who's in town for the holidays and they really need a meeting. We have to be able to reach out to our community. We just can't do it at the level of press, radio, and film. That's a very good point. You guys know that there's meetings out there that are specific to first responders, Mm -hmm. right? And when I first came into AA, couldn't find one. It was so secretive. It took me a year and a half. It's too secretive. That is for some very specialized meetings Mm -hmm. because the Caduceus meetings as well for the medical community are also not publicly listed. And that's because of the stigma. Absolutely, There's a stigma still, but it's also the closed society. But AA meetings in general are listed publicly. Right. And you know something else too, Whenever I do give up my anonymity, what is my purpose? Is it really to help another person? And then one, one final thing that my sponsor said to me, and I've, if you are now known and you relapse or you do something that is damaging to AA, you can do more damage than any good you ever did. What do you both think about the idea of celebrities breaking their anonymity? There's a positive aspect to it where I have been helped. The fact that there's a celebrity makes their story compelling and attractive, Mm -hmm. and people can identify with that. On the other hand, they are above the media line and are breaking their anonymity, yet it's helping people. What do you say about that? When Bill was contemplating this, and this is back in, what, 1940, and there was a baseball player whose anonymity was broken. And then we had Marty M., who was going across the country educating people on alcoholism and talking about AA using her full name. It's not a new problem. No, it's not a new problem. And Bill uses those stories to demonstrate why anonymity is so important. So yes, it might be helping a lot of people to know that this bad boy or bad girl actor has found recovery and this is how that's fantastic. And if they've managed to find permanent sobriety, all the better. But I think that the thinking in in developing this tradition was the potential downside of that is more harmful than the benefit. You know, I've spoken publicly on alcoholism. I was part of a series of town hall meetings and it was on teenage alcohol abuse. So I spoke as a parent, but also as a person in recovery. I I stated, if anyone here would like to talk about this one-on-one with me, I will be happy to do that. But the other part of it, I went to Clarion University, which, you know, I was asked by an RA who came to visit a meeting as part of her education. She asked if I would come in and talk about AA. And I said, well, I can go as an AA member and talk about AA, but I need to know, is anybody going to write about it? Will there be any video? Will there be any photos taken? If the answer is no to all of those, then sure. And I talked as Jody Kay. You know, I'm a prolific Facebooker. I am forever on it. Several times a year, particularly on an anniversary, I'll talk about my recovery. I do not talk about my membership in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is posting publicly on Facebook. However, I'm also a member of several private recovery groups on Facebook. And in those, yes, I talk about Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's not a public group. The anonymity principle not only protects Alcoholics Anonymous from me, it also helps protect me from me. And that's at the media line. Correct. Below that line, you can share that you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. For example, I've shared I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in my church. 
Did they put it in the church bulletin? <laughs> they didn't put it in the church bulletin. But that was also a personal choice. Sam, those groups that you belong to, uh-huh. did the names of those groups that you belong to on Facebook that are private, do they indicate that they are an Alcoholics Anonymous group? They do not. And that's where I've seen, I've been invited, I've been put into groups before that were very clearly Alcoholics Anonymous groups. Mm, And I've removed myself and I've messaged the person who did that and explained why I absented myself and why I found an issue with the name because you can still see the name and you can oftentimes see the members. You just can't see what Mm -hmm. is posted. And that's the nuances that one needs to be informed about how this works within Alcoholics Anonymous. An anonymity issue that we haven't talked about is when we are public about our recovery, I don't post personal recovery stuff on Facebook very often. But when I do, most of the people that I interact with know, please don't comment on this in any way that outs either one of us, because I can out somebody else inadvertently. Absolutely true. So I police the comments on my posts, uh, immediately deleting <laughs> anything that says AA or alcoholics. It's not too much. Yeah. Um, I don't get that much attention. Mike. Those are great comments because, you know, I was one of those people I would go to AA meetings and want to have a bag over my head. And, mm. you know, particularly for police, the big, I, I hear this from police all the time. What if I go to a meeting and there's somebody there that I've arrested or I've had interaction with? And okay. so people are so very, very sensitive And I think that's ultimately in in the beginning of of AA, why this was such a big issue was not so much that me, the person in recovery is being an issue for, but for the newcomer, it being a safe space for the newcomer. Because frankly, today, I could care less if if anybody knows I'm in recovery. It it doesn't bother Mm -hmm. me, but I'm very sensitive to the newcomer. And Jody, you had mentioned inadvertently outing Mm -hmm. somebody else. I can be comfortable with it, but it doesn't mean that they're comfortable with it. Yes. Mike, don't you think that the longer I've been sober, the further I have gotten away from my bad behavior, you know, I've done the steps, I've corrected the wrongs, I've made amends to people that I've harmed, I'm now living a different life. So the longer I get away from it, the less shame I have towards it. That's not the way I live anymore. For a new person, it's right now, this is the what's happening to me, I'm out of control I have no idea what's going on with me. It's an entirely different thing. We need to have anonymity to be attractive for the new person. And it's easy for me to forget how sensitive I was in those early days. And so for the new person that just came in the door, that's exactly where they are. Because now just recovery just seems to be part of my, you know, it's part of my daily life. You know, what's the big deal? Well, that's why it's good for me to keep going to meetings, to be reminded of that. In thinking about this topic, I was kind of rolling through my history with anonymity and how I have screwed up. I grew up in an alcoholic home where either you felt invisible or you wanted to be invisible. And alcohol allowed me to be right there at the center of attention. I still had those competing urges, though, when I first got sober. I'm in a wheelchair. I'm broken. I'm not the tough girl I used to be. Trust me, I wore head to toe black leather in a wheelchair with like Vietnam War stickers on it and stuff. I was still trying to be a tough girl, but I couldn't be that anymore. So I just wanted to shrink down. But there were those urges to just tell everybody I'm an AA now and I'm doing fantastic. And you should look at me for that reason. Hmm. 
you know, as I've grown in sobriety, the spiritual foundation nature, the humility in anonymity has really come home. And I have a suggestion to anybody that really has that urge to want to get out there and tell people how excited they are about their recovery. Public information and cooperation with professional communities needs you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do those committees do? Public information gets the information out there. It's that information out to the magistrate's office, gets it out to the hospital. Cooperation with the professional community is sitting down and talking to a pastor about what Alcoholics Anonymous has to offer his congregation. It's talking to your doctor when you go in for a doctor visit. I'm the last appointment of the day because my doctor always spends 45 minutes at least with me because she wants to talk about recovery. She's not in recovery, but she wants to be educated so she can communicate with her patients. Mm -hmm. So if you really Mm -hmm. want to get yourself out there and out yourself, you can do that one-on-one with doctors, with police officers. So there's ways if you want to channel that in a productive fashion. Yeah, and I I, I want to echo that too. That's one of the things that I've been doing over the last 10 years is working with police. And there's a great demand. Uh, I'm now working in the hospital environment. And a lot of people think that, oh, you're in a hospital, you're in a medical environment. All these people understand addiction. They don't necessarily. They need people like us. We can help these people understand quite a bit. So I think, Jody, that's a great idea. Mike, Jody. Thanks so much. I understand anonymity better after our discussion today. And I would also encourage listeners to go to aa.org or talk with your GSR or committee members at the district level and ask about anonymity if you have questions. Listeners, we want to hear your thoughts on anonymity. Call and leave us a message. You can find the phone number at aagrapevine.org. Click on the podcast button up top. Jody, Mike, thank you so much. It's been a great time chatting with you. And wow, I don't even feel like I need a meeting after this. (laughs) (laughs) The Grapevine is looking for your story submissions for Why I Love the 12 and 12. Stories are due by December 15th, 2022. Our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book turns 70 next year. Tell us the ways this book has enriched your sobriety. Is there a story about using the book that you'd like to tell? How does your group use it? What are your favorite passages and why? Share your story by December 15, 2022 via aagrapevine.org share. Do you drink every day? Yes. How much a day? About three six-packs, starting at noon. How much does a six-pack cost you? Roughly $10 at a deli. And how long have you been drinking like that? 15 years. So you're spending roughly $900 a month. In one year, you spend $10,800, correct? Correct. And in 15 years, you would spend roughly $162,000, correct? Correct. That's a fortune. Did it ever occur to you that if you did not drink beer for the last 15 years, you could have bought a Ferrari? Do you drink? No. Where's your Ferrari? (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. 
We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.